This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. After the spend comes the sale. Rian Brewster seemingly heading for the queue of an exit at Anfield as Michael Edwards once again does his thing in the transfer market. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along to the Blood Red podcast as we get set to discuss the Reds' big summer sale with Brewster, Shakiri, Gruwich and Wilson, all with uncertain futures as Monday's transfer deadline looms. We've also the small matter of a Premier League preview to bring you also as Jurgen Klopp's side travel to Villa Park on Sunday. Could Jordan Henderson be amongst the Reds' party? Plus, our team selections and match predictions to follow as well. Along for the ride this Friday afternoon with Connor Dunn and Dan Kay. Gentlemen, how are we both? I'm very well, thank you, mate. How are you? Not so bad at all after last night. I can imagine. Yeah, thought you'd be smiling <laughs> after Arsenal's jammy little victory there, but we, we've got to let him have him one. We've got to let him have one, Connor, haven't we? So you can, you can. Yeah, have I mean, if you choose there. one, it'd be this one, wouldn't you? There you go. Yeah, there we go. That's that's all that I need to to say on that. If you do want to get in touch with us. Uh, on YouTube or Facebook during the course of the podcast, do do so. Uh, as I say, we're going to get first of all into transfers and plenty looking as though they could be on the way out. And Connor, I know you've been across this for the Echo today. Big developments on the uh, Rian Brewster sale today. Yeah, absolutely. First thing this morning, um, news came out of Liverpool that, well, sources from Liverpool basically that they'd agreed a £23.5 million deal with Sheffield United. Now, a few things to mention here. Sheffield United's biggest ever transfer will be Rian Brewster when this gets completed, which is amazing for a, a player that's obviously never played in the Premier League before. Obviously, very highly rated. If you're a striker that can finish like that, if you someone who gets in the box like that can play with both feet, then obviously you're going to have plenty of potential admirers. Um, I've been told that Crystal Palace also tabled a £17 million bid but Liverpool turned that down for a couple of reasons, which I'll come on to. Essentially, Liverpool were insistent on getting a buyback clause inserted into Rian Brewster's contract. So not only does this include a 15% sell-on clause if Liverpool decide not to buy him back, but for the next three years, Liverpool have the option to buy back Brewster if he develops in the way that they think he will under Chris Wilder. That's a really important thing for Liverpool because essentially they see this like an enhanced loan deal. So if if he, he if Bruce does start scoring, Liverpool could just go go straight away and go and get him back and and bring him into the fold. But I know the club were looking at Bruce and thinking he needed two years of first team senior Premier League experience and first team minutes for over two years. You know before he would be ready to come and play for the Premier League champions. Um, just touching back on Crystal Palace, they also said that they would insert a £50 million by that clause for Liverpool as part of their deal. But Liverpool, I think, were a little bit wary about the valuation and things like that. So they went with Sheffield United. And I know that it was Chris Wilder's insistence that he kept on going for Brewster and made no secret of the fact that he really wanted him. He was his main target. And that's why Liverpool chose, chose Wilder as the option at Sheffield United. Yeah, really interesting stuff. Let's get into this then a bit more. And uh, Dan, for a player who's not kicked a ball in the Premier League, a £23.5 million deal seems very good business once again from Michael Edwards. And on the player's perspective of this, Jurgen Klopp was asked about it in his press conference, of course, until it's official, he didn't want to talk on it. But he was asked to contrast the development between Rian Brewster and Curtis Jones. And reading between the lines, I don't know if you picked up sort of on the similar vibe, it seems as though this is also a move Rian Brewster wants to go and play regular football as opposed to having to sort of prove himself on the training ground. He wants to go out and play football. He had that taste at Swansea. He wants regular minutes. 
Yeah, and you can understand that, really. I mean, Brewster is a year or two older than Curtis, I think I'm right in saying. Um, so he is a little bit further down the road to development. He's been around the fringes of the, fir- the Liverpool first team for longer. Um, and also, you know, he's not a local lad like like Curtis is, you know, who obviously is probably going to be that little bit more patient and it's a bit more of a dream to for him to, to, to play for his, his Boyle club. I mean, I, you know, I do have to say, I, I, I will be slightly sad to see Bruce to go, although it's really interesting listening to what Connor said there, particularly the aspect of, you know, this buyback clause, which we've, you know, written plenty about and talked about in the last few weeks, particularly the way Connor described it as, as almost like an enhanced loan. The, the inference I, I've drawn from that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Connor, is that basically at any point in the next three years, obviously when a transfer window is open, Liverpool can go to Sheffield and say, right, we want him back and there's nothing they can do about it. So if yeah, you're that, bang right, mate. Bang right. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I, I guess this is... This this is this is a very modern transfer. I can't imagine this is something that would have happened a few years ago. But I think it it puts Liverpool in a very strong position, doesn't it? You know, if 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 he if he does progress reasonably well, that but they don't want to bring him back, then they still get a percentage of whatever sell on uh, Sheffield get from him. And like we said, if Klopp uh, feels that um, he, he can be of worth at Anfield, Liverpool can just bring him back like that. We've, you know, it, it's been very clear from a couple of a couple of couple of years now, really, that the very high regard that Jurgen Klopp has for Rian Brewster, and I think we've all been watching his development with a lot of interest and, and waiting to see kind of like how that would reveal itself. And we've seen little glimpses here and there. I mean, the, the friendly game against Salzburg during the summer when he, he scored two fantastic goals, and obviously we all saw what he did with Swansea was it eleven goals in twenty two towards the end of last season. But the reality is. <clears throat> at the moment with Liverpool's having arguably the best front three in the world, he isn't really going to get the the first team minutes that w- that he needs for to for him to develop for him to develop as a player as he should do. So it, it is a deal that makes sense in a in a lot of aspects. Um but I I, I, can't, I can't imagine I'll be the only Liverpool team that'll be looking looking at this, feeling a slight sense of sadness, but also rooting for the lad and, and who knows yet, you know, there's every chance that we may well see him back at Anfield in a red shirt rather than a red and white striped shirt, banging the goals in for Liverpool at some point in the next few years. Yeah, it does seem to be one that sort of divides a fair bit of opinion. And we talk so often about Michael Edwards, Connor, and how brilliant he is in the transfer window for Liverpool, whether it be buying players or players moving out. I think the last sort of couple of years, there's been those loans with obligations to buy with Danny Ings and Ovi Ajari are obviously going to Southampton and Reading respectively. But it's not just Michael Edwards, is it? There is a whole team in the background that works on this, which obviously he does front up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Rian Brewster is a classic example of the level of detail that Liverpool go into and all of the, they use everything available to them to make sure that every step they take in the market now and every move they make, it just has a benefit to them all the way through. So take Brewster, for example, you know, Klopp gave himself a bit of time to look at Brewster again after coming back from his loan. He was good and impressed, but as Klopp mentioned, and as you said there, mentioned his press conference that perhaps Brewster wanted to go and play some first-team football. So Klopp notifies Michael Edwards. Michael Edwards goes and works his magic in the transfer window, as we know he can do in the market, get these buyback clause inserted. But then what happens is there's a, a guy called Julian Ward at Liverpool who is the loan and pathways manager. So he will then, when Liverpool have a buyback clause inserted, which they have done a couple of times actually in the last few years. So Jordan Ibe, when he went down to Bournemouth, 
um, Brad Smith as well, I think, when he went down there, uh, both had buyback clauses. So anyway, what Julian Ward does is he will take a very close look at how the players are developing, how the players are performing, be in constant contact with those players as well where he can, and then feed back the information to Klopp and to Michael Edwards about what the next step is for Liverpool and how they go about you know, taking it. And it all just comes down to the fact that Liverpool just don't want any other team to get ahead and it's very, very clever business once the game. Yeah, it does really seem smart business. And I suppose it, it signifies the work that Michael Edwards has done. You mentioned Brad Smith and Jordan Ibe, the amount of players that we've seen sort of Michael Edwards do deals on and the amount of money he's brought in for players, Dan, who quite frankly haven't... Just to nip in there, yep. do you think about John Joe Shelby when he was sold to Newcastle? got a sell-on clause. Ryan Kent, if he gets sold from Rangers, Liverpool get a sell-on clause. It's just all these little dealings that always being sold with sell-on clauses. And it's just, it's just very clever. Dom Solanke, another one. Uh, Albert Rieri, even back in 2016. Really? So they've been doing it for a few years and it's just how Liverpool have got just much more clever nowadays in the market. Yeah, there are there are so many examples of Michael Edwards and, and what he has done, Dan. When you do think of sort of the, the list of names, and I think one of the, the key things is the amount of money he's got for players who have hardly kicked a ball for Liverpool, certainly in the Premier League. When you think of, as Connor said there, the likes of Dom Solanke, Rian Brewster hasn't played in the Premier League yet. You've got Ryan Kent. There are so many players for the amount of games they've played for Liverpool's first team. Danny Ings. Yeah, the amount of money that, that Liverpool have, have mm. gathered. The ones we've got on, on screen for those watching, I think that equates to £170 million brought in from only 133 appearances. And not all of those, of course, are starts anyway. A million pounds in appearance. <laughs> Almost is, yeah. and it's unbelievable. Yeah, incredible. I mean, this all just illustrates, doesn't it, why Liverpool are now held up across the world of football as the benchmark, really, as to how to do your transfer dealings. And it's not so long ago, you know, well, it's 20 years ago, Liverpool signed two goalkeepers on the same day. But it's all right, it's only five years ago that Liverpool ended up buying Mario Balotelli and Ricky Lambert, you know, having come this okay. close to winning the league. And it, it, you know, the word that strikes me is you know, about this the, the transfer strategy and organisation that Liverpool have now. It, it, it's forensic. You know, it, it's so well organised. It's so well thought out. The attention to detail is and is is clearly elite and and and, and market leading. And this is I think, I think one of the clever things about it as well. I think there was always a perception with some of the big clubs, particularly like Chelsea, who brought lots of players. That it's almost like a an additional revenue stream. You know, you, you buy up young players that you're not even necessarily lo- necessarily looking for to be oh, to be first team players. Obviously, you hope that's the case, but the kind of like if that doesn't happen, then a, a genuine part of the business is buying and selling on and making profit on young players. And I think that's been the case for, for a lot of big clubs for a long time now. But it was there in principle, but in reality, I'm not sure how it actually really played out. It seems now that Liverpool <clears throat> are really punching their weight. In this department, they are bringing in extra revenue in, in on, on this basis. I saw a couple of tweets around about lunchtime going, how does it make sense to sell Brewster uh, and to keep Origi? Now, I mean, you know, you can talk about Divock Origi until the cows come home. But, you know, I, I, the way things have gone over the last couple of years, I think you can make a strong case to say Liverpool would be stronger to have Brewster as part of their striking quartet or quintet for this season than Origi. But the reality is, at the moment, presumably, with, what, four days to go to the end of the window, there haven't been the kind of bids for Origi that they want. And, and and that's the key factor here, isn't it? It's about doing the deals that make the best business sense for the club because 
ultimately, if you're if you're getting the right kind of levels from this kind of you know second and third tier players that aren't your, your elite levels, that enables you to kind of punch your weight when you are going for the A-listers, when you are going for 75 million Van Dykes and 60 million Allisons. So, you know, they're never going to get everything 100% right. Transfers are not an exact science. You know, football is not an exact science. That's why we love it. But I think Liverpool now are giving themselves absolutely the best chance to succeed and to really be as strong as they can be in every department. And, you know, it, it, it's great to see after so many missteps in the past. Yeah, well, I just mentioned there as well with you talking about Origi. I think I got that from Klopp a little bit in the press conference today when he was kind of mm-hmm. like, if Brewster was 25 or 26, he might be yeah. staying, fighting for his place, be more happy to. Because he's 20, he's in a totally different stage of his career now. And he's, you know, going on to develop and Liverpool can take another look at him. It's just a win-win, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, that, that was the line that really got me, that maybe Brewster being young in his career just wants to get out and play games as opposed to maybe be a, a squad option. Peter Hooten, host of our Alain LaRouge podcast, got in touch, says it's a clever deal. It certainly does seem that. Let's move on from the Brewster deal, though, and talk about some of those other fringe players who did feature in the Carabao Cup fourth-round tie with Arsenal, a number of them still with question marks over their futures, Harry Wilson and Marco Gruic in particular, Connor. But Jordan Shakiri, of course, wasn't involved at all. Yeah, well, I think that speaks volumes about Jordan Shakiri. Obviously, we know that a couple of offers have come in from him, believed to be two clubs from Italy. Um, the fact he wasn't involved last night, he is fit. Obviously, they didn't want to risk him getting an injury. And that is probably that. And that's probably the end of Shakiri's time at Liverpool. But I think what that massively shows is just how quickly the standard has risen at Liverpool. You think a couple of years ago, Shakiri would have been a first-team star and now he doesn't even get in the midfield. He doesn't even get in the, ma- the Premier League match day squad, which is crazy to think about the, the rise in talent that Liverpool have got now. So, yeah. Um, interestingly, though, Shakiri and I, talking about Shakiri, I have to talk about Wilson because in no uncertain terms, I've been told that should Shakiri be sold, then no matter what offer comes in for Harry Wilson this summer, they, he won't be sold. He won't be going anywhere. So I wrote this in a piece the other day. Basically, Liverpool will Klopp's happy to have him in his squad because of the amount of games, because of the congestion, mm-hmm. because of coronavirus still being a thing, possible injuries. He's happy to have a bit of a bigger squad this year. And actually, they'll reassess Wilson's position in January, depending on where Liverpool are at. But if Shakiri goes, then Wilson will be staying. Um, I'll let Dan talk about Gruwich because I thought Gruwich was excellent last night and a couple of commenters <clears throat> did as well. Well, I'll talk about him as best I can. I was actually playing football last night, so I've only seen bits and bobs of the game. But every report of every report of Red said that he was excellent. I mean, I, I always liked the look of him. I remember that header he scored against against Barcelona in the friendly game at Wembley, right at the start of Klopp's first full season. Obviously, we know he's gone on loan to the Bundesliga a couple of times and performed well there. I think it says a lot about. I, I think he, you know that deserves a, a fair degree of credit because it can't be easy constantly coming back to Liverpool every summer and then getting shipped out again. But by all accounts, he, he was a real presence in the middle of the party yesterday. He looked one of Liverpool's most likely players to get on the score sheet. I mean, by all accounts, it, it was a pretty good performance. And um, but for the outstanding performance of Burnt Leno and the Arsenal goal, Liverpool would have won by would have won by a couple of goals. I, I've had that, that that sense that what Connor mentioned there that we all we know Klopp likes a, a, you know a smallish tight knit squad to keep everybody um, on the toes and feeling involved and everything. But obviously, this is an unusual season. And I think we've all kind of realised that there is going to be a slightly bigger squad because of those factors Connor mentioned. 
So it's, you know, it, it's going to be a really interesting few days until we get to it. Is it 5 p.m. on Friday, on Monday? 11 p.m. When 7 the, um, p.m. I think on Sunday. 7 is it? Oh, yeah. sorry. The transfer window, 11 p.m. on Monday. Yeah, 11. The, the game against Philly. Oh, 11. Sorry. Than that. Right. Yeah, um, but I, I, I think I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, really interesting what what, what Connor said about Wilson as well. The fact that you know if if Shakiri goes, Wilson stays. That obviously illustrates again that you know, Klopp doesn't want to leave himself short. And I think that's sensible because this is an unprecedented period in terms of games of intensity. Obviously, of travel with the Champions League. I mean, the draw was reasonably kind to Liverpool in that regard. With no, not too many far flung trips, but it's still it's still something to bear in mind. Um, and if you know, Liverpool are in a pretty good position, I think now, then that if they do, they can hold out for the bids they want for for the, for the value that they think their players are worth. And if those kind of bids don't come in, then they're in a, in a nice position where they can sit tight till January, and make sure they got this extra cover because you, we've been really quite lucky, I think, with injuries over the last couple of years. We haven't had none. It can be an absolute fallacy to say that they have had some injuries at various points, but we've not had a kind of like a real crisis. <clears throat> Now, you know, by the law of averages, if you're watching football long enough, they do happen eventually. And obviously we don't want it to happen this autumn, but it could do. But at least by having these extra players here and, until the new year, Liverpool have got that extra bit of cover and then it can be reassessed in January. Um, obviously, we're not, you'll have a clear idea about how the league's going, how Europe's going. You know, form can come into it as well. But no, it, it's if you can't trust in the way Liverpool go about the business now in terms of transfers, after seeing what they've done over the last few years, then I don't think you ever will. Yeah, I think you're exactly that right there, talking about Wilson and Grewich. Obviously, you know, Bruce is off, but before the Arsenal game, I was, I was told that Wilson and Grewich were going to be involved. Wilson's looked really lively in training, for example. Um, Grewich really impressed Klopp against Lincoln, and obviously he would have impressed him again last night against Arsenal. So Liverpool are in a really fortunate position here. You know, if the right, I think it's all about the right bid. If the right mm. bid comes in for the value and they meet Liverpool's valuation and they get the £20 million they want for Wilson and the £20 million they want for Gruwich, then absolutely makes sense to, to sell now. But they can sit tight. They have every option to sit tight to January. You know, it's not that long. Wilson and Gruwich will get invaluable experience training with Liverpool's world-class stars and the model professionals like Henderson and Milner. And so it really, again, they're in a, another bit of a win situation, but that's just testament to how well they're doing and the business they're carrying out right now. Yeah, final point just to make on the, the transfers. And as you were saying it there, Connor, it popped into my head. There's this misconception, I suppose, going around, somewhat of a myth maybe, that Liverpool have done their business in the transfer window in bringing in Thiago and Diogo Jota. Of course, Costas Simicas came in earlier in the window. That Liverpool now are trying to sort of clear the dead wood. These players are surplus to requirements. Jurgen Klopp doesn't need them, doesn't want them. He, he said in his press conference today, he was asked about how many in terms of general numbers may leave. He said it's not about that. The most important thing at the football club is the squad and the players within it. And therefore, there's this feeling that Michael Edwards' reputation of getting very high fees for players may not be able to continue because Liverpool wouldn't want these players. From what you're saying there, it seems to be sort of completely the opposite to what he's playing out. Jurgen Klopp wants these players around and the only way they're going to be leaving Liverpool is if good bids come in for them. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if Liverpool can, you know, as I say, get the transfer money that they want for them and clubs meet their valuations. I know that plenty of clubs across Europe have been uh, wanting Marco Gruic. Loads of clubs in the Bundesliga have been in contact. Um, I know that bids were tabled for Wilson and Gruic. I'm not sure which clubs submitted them, but they haven't met Liverpool's requirements. So 
flat out there, that's clear. Liverpool aren't going to sell at just any price. They aren't just going to get rid of these players. So although it might be in terms of incomings they're done, although we were told earlier in the window that it's very fluid and it could go very late on, you know, you're thinking of a centre-back, very, very possible, but unlikely. But there's no rush to just get rid and clear out because actually they're in a bit of a, a situation that they don't know, really. They've never seen this situation before. They've never had shots short pre-season. Coronavirus has obviously never been a thing. And all these things are going to come into play, particularly, you think, in December when clubs have already played so many games. You think of Tottenham this week have played, what, like four games in a week. So coming into December, when this isn't like a traditionally ridiculously busy period, I think we might see the big squads start to come into play. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, let's move on then and, and talking of sort of squad building as we were just before and the makeup of it for Jurgen Klopp. His final question in his press conference today, Danny, was asked about obviously players going away on international duty in the current climate as it is. Liverpool's three Brazilians, Alisson Becker, Fabinho and Roberto Firmino, all set to be part of a squad that do face Peru. I think it is at 1am on Wednesday morning as it is for us over here. And Jurgen Klopp saying, well, in a truncated season like this, we know England, for example, have three fixtures in this upcoming international break. It's all too much. Yeah, well, it's not the first time Jurgen Klopp has um, expressed his views about the intense burden and demands on a modern footballer and international football. I think he actually used the phrase, I think he was talking more about the was it more about the Premier League or UEFA. He actually said they don't care a couple of times, didn't he, today? So that, that he was clearly bristling a little bit. And I think he's got every right to to to, to bang the drum. He isn't just he isn't just jumping on a bandwagon here, is he? You know, it, it, this this has been an issue that Klopp and let's be fair, plenty of other managers have spoken about at some length and raised the concerns about for for a, for a number of years. And they've got a point. You can't just keep flogging players, making them travel here, there, and everywhere. All right, we know they're they're highly trained elite athletes, but. You know, it, it's not. I would think it's not just the physical intensity; it's the mental intensity as well. You know, building yourself up for these games, the pressure these 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 guys are under to perform at a very very high level. It's obviously it's a very difficult time, isn't it? Because you know, football is an entertainment business outside of a pandemic. At the moment, with no fans in grounds, being able to get matches on and at least being able to get TV revenue in is kind of critical for for the business as a whole to keep moving forward. So there is a balancing act, but yeah. I, I kind of almost got the impression Klopp probably doesn't expect any, any, not necessarily anyone to listen, but anything to particularly done about it at the moment. But it's kind of like almost like death by a thousand cuts, isn't it? If you keep chipping away and chipping away and chipping away, eventually the the penny has to drop because ultimately, you know, we are going to see a reduction in quality if if if, if the players are knackered. Um, you know, as, and I say again, not just physically but mentally the games aren't going to be as good. It's not going to be as good a spectacle. And, you know, and there's a duty of care element as well. These are human beings. These are, these are fellows with families and lives and, and that they need to be protected in their place of work, just like we all do. Yeah, it certainly does seem to be the case. And Connery was speaking, obviously, with it being international as well, that he understands that the, the FAs and such need to put on extra games because they've obviously got a, a reduced uh, amount of games that they've been having and therefore opportunity to make money too. But he, it, it was more 
an issue with the broadcasters, he felt. I mean, I don't think the games post the international break have been sorted out yet for TV, but he did sort of hint that the Merseyside derby, he said, well, if we've got players playing in Peru on a Wednesday morning and then we've got a game at half past 12 on Saturday, as I say, that hasn't been confirmed, but he was sort of hinting towards that maybe being a, a possibility that, as Dan says, it is an entertainment business, but we need to understand that these guys are the other side of the world. Yeah, I was actually going to mention exactly that. So I'm glad you brought me on to it, to be honest. So Klopp flat out saying that the Premier League and TV broadcasters just do not care. And yeah, use that as an exact example. So they could be playing in Peru on a, a Wednesday. And the Premier League aren't the ones putting on a private jet to fly all these players back in time to make it for the weekend. Liverpool foot that bill to make sure the players get back as quickly and as safely as possible. But they could be flying back Friday night or Thursday night at the earliest after the game on a Wednesday evening. So, you know, they're landing, having to readjust to time zones and then coming in to play an early game on a Saturday in a Merseyside derby. It's, it's not great. And as you mentioned, obviously, it's not confirmed. The time of the kickoff hasn't been confirmed. But I mean, it's, it's not a good situation if that is going to be the case. And obviously, Everton are going to have players in that boat as well. You're thinking like Richarlison, James Rodriguez, Colombian. So, you know, it's not just Liverpool. And I think that's the point that Klopp really wanted to make that, he bangs this drum, but so many managers are, are just are, are really, really concerned about player welfare. And it goes back to the point as well about him really wanting five substitutions and the fact that England are the only league in Europe without the five subs. And even in the Nations League, when England go and play, they'll have five subs. The internationals will have five subs. So why... I know it came down to a Premier League vote, but it does seem rather silly not to just fall in line with everybody else that's doing what they're doing, especially when, you know, we tried to do our own transfer market last year, had a bit of an issue there. Why we try and go our own way and make a stand about things that we just don't need to? It just it seems utterly silly. And I can completely get where Klopp's coming from. As you say, it's an entertainment business. But if the people that are doing the entertaining are tired and are not ready and can't play, then we're not going to be that entertained. No, couldn't have put it better myself. But let's get on then to the game, the, the entertainment to follow this weekend, a trip to, to Villa Park. And Dan, this was probably one of the abiding memories from last season. Liverpool going to Villa Park, falling 1-0 behind. And then the late show from Andy Robertson and Sadio Mane that got three crucial points at a time that obviously Liverpool were beginning to move away from Man City. Absolutely. I was lucky enough to be at the away in the away end of Villa Park last November. And it to me particularly obviously having missed out on the denouement of the season, it was one of the absolute highlights of the whole campaign. It was the week before the big game against City at Anfield. At half-time with Liverpool losing, there was the, there was the, the prospect of City possibly going ahead of us the weekend, the weekend after if they'd won at Anfield on goal difference. Um, Villa Park's a great ground anyway. You know, it's, it's so much history there. Liverpool's been there many, many times, the semi-finals and so on. And it was just, for me, really, I mean, it's easy to talk about behind that. But for me, that was the week the title was won. The comeback against Villa and then battering City at Anfield the week after, which, the week after, which I think made the league nine points. And I don't think there was ever any, any coming back from that. So there's positive memories for Liverpool there. But um, Villa have had a great start to the season, haven't they? Um, top of the league. They were the only two from two rather than three from three. But, you know, as a, a side that only stayed up, only preserved the Premier League status on the final day of the season <coughs> in their first year back after, you know, four or five years out of the top flight. I think, you know, obviously a, his, a historically big club, former European champions, you know, in, in 1982. Um, I've always liked going to Villa Park and, you know, if, again, it's, it's going to be one of those weekends where 
not being able to go the match feels that a little bit more pronounced because it's I think it's it's one it's one of those occasions that most travelling fans would would identify that that's in a way that you want to go to. Um, but Liverpool, you know, have, have had a pretty good start to the season ourselves. Obviously, slight disappointment at, at, at um, going out of the Carabao Cup last night, but to some degree, it's almost served its purpose in kind of almost acting as like a little mini pre-season. Would we really have needed an extra game against Manchester City three days before Christmas with all the kind of hoo-ha that that would bring with it? I mean, listen, trophy, I'd love to see Liverpool win everything one day, the quintuple or whatever. It's never happened before. Um, but under the circumstances, I think if Klopp will be looking at this game, um, get another three points, do you know, do whatever it takes to, to keep the 100% record going, and then he can send his players off to international duty in good heart, and then it's just a case of hoping and praying they all come back safe and sound and intact for the small matter of a Merseyside derby. Yeah, and we might, Connor, see Jordan Henderson return for this one. Jurgen Klopp was asked about him and said that, yeah, he's going to be part of training today on the on the Friday and he may well therefore be able to be part of the squad for Sunday. Yeah, very possible that he's going to be in the squad. As, as Klopp mentioned in, in the press conference, he is back in training. Um, he's going to take part in the warm-up. He's going to take part in passing drills and then possibly the rondos. Um, after that, it'll be Henderson doing some fitness work on his own because he's not entirely ready to be back into totally, total football yet. But obviously, got a couple of days still until Villa. So I probably at this point would expect him to be included, particularly when you think he's got an England call-up, which it was interesting, actually, that Klopp said that he was very happy that Henderson got an England call-up because he'd been speaking with Gareth Southgate. And actually, it seems like Klopp has had a bit of a plan for Henderson to return to match fitness while with England, getting minutes with England to come back and be ready to go full throttle in the Merseyside derby. So I think it's a very, very clever way of playing it. I know there's a bit of fume on social media yesterday about how Henderson could be included with England when he's not been playing for Liverpool. But I actually think it's quite a canny game Liverpool have played here because if he can't return straight for Liverpool and be at 100%, then do it with England and let him crack on in the Premier League. Um, <laughs> we talk about Aston Villa there. Going to be a tough test. You know, obviously they've signed Barkley, which is decent. Traore, decent sign-in. Um, a 100% start to the season. I know Grealich is, is not injured anymore. He's come back. So it's going to be decent. It's going to be a tough test at Villa Park. And obviously Liverpool are going to have to just go fully at it. But we'll obviously come on to score predictions. I, I fully expect them to have enough. Yeah, we will get on to that uh, very soon indeed. Just wanted to talk a bit about their business, actually, Dan. And they seem to really have stuck with sort of players either with Premier League know-how or uh, those who have been just the division below wanting to, to prove themselves. Obviously, they brought in Ollie Watkins from Brentford and Matty Cash from Nottingham Forest. But Jurgen Klopp was very complimentary about uh, Traore that they brought in from Leon, former Chelsea player. And Ross Barkley, I think he called both of them a top, top, top top player i think i've got enough tops in there Four but top. he was uh, yeah he, he was he was very glowing in his uh, praise for them yeah well you know um villa as we know gave us a tough time at villa park in november and they put up a pretty good performance at anfield in in june didn't they when the league was already won liverpool won 2-0 in the end but thinking right and saying both goals came in the last 20 minutes <clears throat> and um you know and villa were fighting for their lives at that stage um, I think you know, they deserve a lot of credit for the way they've gone about the business, really, since they've, since they've come back into the top league. They haven't spent stupid money, but they seem to have spent it reasonably wisely. I think Ross Barkley is an interesting one. You know, he, he, right, he scored against Liverpool in the FA Cup last year. Yes. Yeah. And obviously, as an, as an ex-Everton player, it'll be, and, you know, a wavery lad, it'll be, wanting to, um, it'll be wanting to stick one on, on the old enemy. Um, 
to be to be fair, it's very rare that you see Klopp uh, be anything less than complimentary. But you you get the impression that um, you know D- Dean Smith, the Villa manager, you know, he's a Birmingham lad, a big a big Villa supporter himself. It's maybe similar to Chris Wilder. He's not he's not a superstar manager. He, you know, had you know hardly a playing career. As I didn't even know if he was a player. And I always get the impression that, that Klopp has a kind of like a special admiration for coaches that he comes up like that, who haven't had you know, the gilded background of a Guardiola or an Ancelotti or, or, or whoever. Not that he has any, any less respect for them either. But he's, he's a people person, Klopp, isn't he? And I think he can just identify, maybe because obviously he had a very, very modest playing career himself and kind of had to drag himself up by his bootstraps. And possibly he, he, can, he can identify on, on, on a human level there. Um, so it'll be, you know, Villa will see it probably as a good time to play us. You know, at the end of a, a fairly compressed set of fixtures, obviously we've had a game on the Thursday, on the Thursday night, um, and and they're flying. You know, they, they've, you know, they've, they, uh, they, they, they got knocked out of the League Cup this this midweek. They got beaten by Stoke last night, but they rested ten. They rested ten. They changed, changed ten from the weekend. So they have they have Liverpool in mind with that, absolutely. Yeah. Well, they, well, they they've clearly put you know put their cards on the table and shown where their priorities are. So they'll they'll be fancying their chances and they'll come and have a go. But to, to some degree, if they if they do actually have a go and try and attack Liverpool, that's probably what what we would want, isn't it? Because I think the if if teams if teams try to attack, often they leave spaces in behind. It's 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 often the teams that sit very deep and say we'll break us down that. Sometimes it can can be problematic, but you know this Liverpool team maybe after a slightly sketchy opening game against Leeds, I think have clicked into gear pretty quickly. Bearing in mind, you know they can't possibly be a hundred percent fit yet, but I think you know particularly the, the the second and third league performances against Chelsea and Arsenal show that this side is very very determined to put a marker down, to put a statement out there and say we want our title, we we want to keep hold of this title. If you're going to take it off, you're going to have to do something pretty special. Right. And, and I would expect we'll see similar, you know, a similar performance on Sunday night. Yeah. Before we go, then let's go through our our team lineups and our match predictions. Do send your predictions to us. We'll get to them shortly, but not before we get through the team. I'll, I'll go with the goalkeeper, Alison Becker. Connor, you can go with the back four, and then we'll discuss that off the back. Well, it's it's going to be Robertson, Trent, Gomez, and Van Dijk, isn't it? I don't see any other back four. How any other back four can start? Yeah, Dan, you in complete agreement there. Can't argue with that. You can choose the midfield then. What's the three in there, Dan? Oh, fine. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Hobson's choice, isn't it? For um, I'd be very surprised if we see Jordan Henderson thrown back in. Um, can't see that happening. Uh, so it'll be Fabinho, who's been in fine form so far this season. Ginny Wijnaldum. And um, we always half tempted to throw Curtis Jones in because that, that's who he got his first goal against. But obviously, he, he, he played the full 90 last night. He certainly started, didn't he? So it, it, it'll yeah, be... I, think so. I, I, I Even though he hasn't maybe been grabbing the, the headlines or the goals that maybe people expect, I, I think Naby Case has had a fairly solid start to the season. So I, I, was, I would continue with, 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 those, with, with Naby. Yeah, Curtis Jones, yeah. incidentally, is in the, the England under-21s, isn't he? He got his first call-up for that. Jurgen Klopp said in his press conference, Connor, that if we put Curtis in to start any Premier League game, no one goes to sleep worrying about it. Would you put him in there or are you in agreement with the, the three Dan's gone for? 
No, I think given that Jones played last night and Cater was rested, you've got to put Cater in. I think, although Cater hasn't quite got the assists or been the attacking force that many expected, I think Liverpool maybe used him a little bit of a different way. The way he's been pressing, the way he's been running, the way he's been sort of moving the game around and sort of dictating the pace a little bit, which is not what we've seen from him a lot. I think he's, he's, had, he's had a little bit of a different effect on Liverpool to maybe what we've seen from him. I've been quite enjoying his performances, so definitely him for now. But Jones is knocking on the door, isn't he? And certainly does long, seem that way. No, it certainly does seem that way. And as for the forward three, Divock Origi started on the bench in the Carabao Cup. Is he getting a start then? Not for me. It's the time and it's the time served, time trusted. Elite front three of Salah, Mane and Firmino for, uh, for me. You know, I, I hope Divock Origi still has a part to play this season. You know, we all know if he never kicked another ball after June 2019, he'd be a Liverpool legend. But... I still think he can have something to offer. And it's just a case of him kind of, you know, reading the signs, improving, finding a way to kind of reinvent himself within the current context and making himself a viable option for Liverpool off the bench. I see, you know, if there was to be a change in the, in the front three, I, I think more than a regular the moment, it'd be, it'd be Diogo Jota. But obviously he started last night as well. And from, from what I've heard, had a pretty decent game as well. So I'd expect him to be the first cab off the rank. If, if he did want to change it or first sub, but particularly as we're coming towards the end of this little stanza of first games, I think Klopp's just going to go strong, get that nine out of nine, and then we can look at it again when they come back after the internationals. I think it's the one disappointment from last night, isn't it? If you were to say anything, it's not even the fact going out, but it's the fact that these sort of players, these fringe players, are just not going to get much game time anymore, really. Obviously, got congested games and they'll come in from injuries and when players need a rest, but the League Cup just gives them such a golden opportunity, same as the FA Cup will, but it's just another opportunity for them to prove their worth, play, get 13 minutes, et cetera, et cetera, but not to be. But yeah, it's got to be the front three, especially with Jota and Minamino playing, starting last night. I don't see any other than the front three, even though Salah played 60. He's going to come in, he's going to be raring to go again for his it's Premier League goal. He's, <laughs> he's flying, isn't he? So yeah, that front three, the revered front three, I'm excited to see. And Again. what about what about a, a score prediction then, Connor? What are you going for on this one? Oh, Juan Diacampo. I'm going to agree. Three 0 Going for three 0 to, to honest, the Reds. Put the words out of my mouth as soon as I saw Juan. I thought that's the Juan. So, yeah, <laughs> oh, Jota <laughs> prediction. But uh, yeah, no, I, I was going to say two 0 to, to to Liverpool. But uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how it does play out. Of course, the uh, Blood Red podcast will be back with you on Monday. Check out the Liverpool Echo for all of the build up and match reaction as it does come in on our live blogs on the Echo website, as well as more detail on all of the Rian Brewster movements. Connor with some brilliant writing today on the Liverpool Echo, so do go and check it out. But from us here at Blood Red, thanks for joining us and uh, thanks for your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.